0: Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me yeah. on the line. Yeah, yeah, everybody. Hey, what's going on? We got the uh, Turk Ferguson in the first two seconds.
1: Ah, Norm McDonald be praised.
0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the line as he does every week on the show. It is Mike Reyes from CinemaBlend.com, a real flesh and blood reviewer of movies and critiquing of movies, critic or critic, critic just critic of movies
1: critic critiquer maybe yeah critic a movie critic yeah, movie critic movie you know report, journalist guy uh, entertainment journalist
0: he does things yeah he does the things with the writing and the mouth hole and all that um <laughs> Mike, we got a big week for us uh this week as uh a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, let's let's get into it. Uh the movie that's coming out this week that's kind of on everybody's radar and there may be more. There may be some time travel at the end of this. I'm not sure. Uh but 5 Nights at Freddy's is coming out this week.
1: Yeah. Uh based off of a wildly popular video game and a movie that has taken a little, like roughly around a decade to actually get made. Like there is a wildly complicated story behind the making of this movie, and the and like this, it shifted studios. You had Chris Columbus, who's the director of uh, was he the director of he was the director of Home Alone? Yeah, and the first two Harry Potters, he was involved in this at one point. It's it's just kind of crazy that we are finally here with a Five Nights at Freddy's film on our doorstep.
0: I legitimately thought this movie had already happened or there had been a different version of it. Like, I don't know much about Five Nights at Freddy's.
1: Well, the basic gist of it is, it is it, the games are set at a pizza parlor, uh, Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, and it's like a Chuck E. Cheese sort of deal. The thing is, uh, what if kids died at Chuck E. Cheese and uh, animatronics were involved somehow? And what if the animatronics could move and, and, and claim victims?
0: Oh, boy. I, would just, I just pulled up the Wikipedia. Like, film adaptation began in April of 2015.
1: Well, probably the, the development process began yeah. in 2015.
0: But still, yeah, that's Warner a Brothers long time.
1: Warner Brothers was originally going to do this. Yeah. And then it jumped over to Universal and Blumhouse. And, you know, Blumhouse got it done. And, uh, you know, they work with Jim Henson's Creature Shop to develop, develop the animatronics. Small little plug here. Uh, my side podcast, Overdue Rentals, we got Lynn Montcrief, the cinematographer, from the film to talk with us. Oh, cool. And Matthew and I talked with him about the movie Lost Souls as the overdue rental. And that dude was so much fun to talk with.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I, all right. So, and, and just for so people know, uh, links to overdo Rentals are at the bottom of the page. So, if you want to check it out, please do so. They would greatly appreciate it. Mike Reyes uh, from Cinema Blend and uh, your buddy, and I can't think of what his name is. <laughs>
1: Matthew Sheckman, there you my go, host on overview rentals, and we have a B B-Socks episode, which is a lot of fun, yeah, we I did highly recommend
0: we did memoirs of an invisible Man, didn't we?
1: Yeah, we did. I was <laughs> just gonna say that
0: <laughs> that was a lot of fun because that boot like it's rare that you could spend like you know half hour forty five minutes on one movie, you know.
1: Yeah, especially a movie like that, because a lot of people just, again, it was on overdue rentals for a reason. A lot of people probably don't remember that it even existed, much less that it was a Chevy Chase movie or that Sam Neill gives a wonderful villainous performance in it.
0: No, there's a lot of good in that movie. Anyways, um, I want to come on again sometime, just so you know.
1: Oh, you are more than welcome to come back on the show. We're going to have to set that up because I think we're looking to – sort of get our next batch of guests booked and of course you are more than welcome like, to come back on
0: like Demolition Man or something would be fun
1: Do Oh Not only do I think that is on my list but this is the 30th anniversary of Demolition Man this year
0: Oh it's such a Simon says uh Mike Reyes from cinemablend.com on the line with me All right so uh, five nights at Freddy in general I I imagine there's going to be a lot of people interested in this because of the video game will it live up to that I don't know video game movies seldom do, but this is one of those ones. This might be kind of cool. This might turn into something good.
1: I really hope so. Uh I don't I I have to double check when the embargo is because people have seen it. In fact, Matthew saw it to prep for the show. Matthew said that well he was like eh about the movie, but he gave it credit for the fact that he thinks it looks fantastic and that it should be seen it should be seen in a movie theater. But he also said that it was darker and more depressing than he thought it was going to be. Uh-oh. And that alone has me excited to watch this movie.
0: All right. We'll see what happens with that. You can see it this weekend in uh, theaters and on in Peacock. Theater. That's right. So. Which
1: is really weird. Like, I, I <coughs> don't know why they do that with their big Halloween movies. Like, they did it with, with the Halloween trilogy. And now they're doing it with Five Nights at Freddy's. You could have done that with Exorcist Believer. Uh,
0: Mike wow. Grace from CinemaBlend.com on the line with me right now. Is that kind of it for movies out this weekend?
1: Uh, there is a movie that is premiering on Netflix this weekend that I am uh, going to be watching after we're done recording here because I'm, I'm also writing a review for it. Okay. Uh, Netflix's Pain Hustlers.
0: Oh, Okay. What's that about?
1: Uh, It's basically about the opioid. It's inspired by the opioid crisis. Oh, wow. And it it stars uh, Emily Blunt and Chris Evans. Sold. Yeah, Emily Blunt, Chris Evans, Evans, Catherine O'Hara, Andy Garcia. Like, your four big leads right there. Oh, that's awesome. And Emily Blunt plays Liza, this woman who is in desperate need of a job, and she happens to meet this guy Pete, played by Chris Evans and he gets her into the world of becoming a farmer rep and things get wild and weird from that point.
0: Perfect. I and I just really like Emily Blunt.
1: Emily Blunt is massively talented and can I just say that one of the still one of my greatest disappointments is that thanks to contractual obligations she couldn't play Black Widow in the MCO.
0: Yeah, oh boy.
1: She had to go make Gulliver's Travels because she was still under contract with Fox because she did Devil Wears Prada.
0: Is she in the MCU at all?
1: No, but her husband is. For those of you playing along at home, John is the one's husband, and he was the multiversal variant of Reed Richards in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And a lot of people still want him to be actually cast in that role, but we don't know if that's going to be the case.
0: Yeah, who knows? Well, at this point, with the multiverse of them owning everything... It probably could be at some point.
1: It could be, but at that point they, they were saying, oh, we were just really more doing this to, like, you know, give the fans something, and it's like, okay. And as we've seen, they can be very flexible with multiversal variants. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be the same person.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. speaking but of that, time,
1: could... this.
0: Oh. Uh, no, sorry, you just made me think of it. This is, uh, this is the week that uh, the ending of Loki is supposed to be crazy, right?
1: Yes. Uh, we haven't watched it yet, obviously, because we're on the slow path like everyone else. Ah, sh- we're going to have to
0: talk tomorrow, aren't we?
1: <laughs> oh, we're going to. Well, we were, yeah, we're going to. Because we were going to talk about Five Nights at Freddy's anyway and Pain Hustlers. And now we get to talk about Loki because, again, critics got the first four episodes before the fan event and before the, the season launch. I chose not to watch them because, A, I didn't know it was the first four episodes, and, B, I wanted to watch whatever episodes we got in theaters freshly there. So I missed episodes three and four. I've been on the slow path like everyone else. And this week, from what I've heard, is the cliffhanger that has people yelling at their screens. Even though last week was a pretty big cliffhanger.
0: I still think I'm right.
1: I would love to see it, and I don't know if you saw it, but I did write a feature about our two, the two theories that we discussed.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I wrote it that Friday.
0: Why didn't you give me a heads up about it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to look this stuff up. I'll send you a link. There you go. Mike Grange from com on the line. Um, All right, so we've got a lot more to talk to, obviously, in time travel. So uh, real quick, let's uh, wrap up this week uh, with just a couple quick hits. Um, Is there anything else we need to, like, need to talk about before we uh, do some time traveling here?
1: David Fincher's glad he didn't have to do the World War Z sequel.
0: God, talk about ruining a book, man.
1: Oh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, that. that that pretty much subs it up right there.
1: Oh, man. You know what? It's 10 years since World War Z this summer. Let's open that wound up because that was a waste of a book. And that was a waste of a book where you have such a good audio book that casts people like Nathan Fillion, Carl Reiner, Alan Alda, Martin Scorsese. Like, you have all these people. Mark Hamill, Henry Rollins, like yeah. all these really good voices and this really good book. And you just, the concept was laid out right there. You could do an anthology. You could do a, a, an anthology of episodes that would carry on for a while and it's someone interviewing people after the, the zombie war. There it, you go, done.
0: This is one of those, it's one of those books that proves that something should be a TV series rather than a movie, you know? Yeah. The, and this is one of the One of the best examples of it. And I'm going to tell you right now, anybody that's listening to this, if you get a chance and have never read world war z before read it or listen to the audiobook like mike just said go do it it is a fantastic read it really oh is and, and this is coming from a guy that i don't like zombie movies i i i'm not into them. i don't give a shit about the walking dead uh or any of that stuff but this was a really really cool different take on the whole zombie thing
1: it is. And like, you could very easily read the book and then do the audiobook or do it the other way around. It's, it's, it's easily rereadable. And, but David Fincher was saying that his concept for World War Z two was, his quote is, uh, quote, well, it was a little like The Last of Us. I'm glad that we didn't do what we were doing because Last of Us had a lot more real estate to explore the same stuff. In our title sequence, we were going to use the little parasite they used in their title sequence. And in that wonderful opening with the Dick Cavett, David Frost style talk show. So it sounds like he really wanted to dig into some stuff that ultimately Last of Us pulled up in the game and in the show. And while I'm definitely, I'm kind of glad that World War Z2 never happened because who knows what sort of interference would have been thrown David Fincher's way, even though he's David Fincher. Uh, I'm I'm still kind of sad that at least at least re- release the script, make it into a comic book or an audio drama or something.
0: I guess I don't know. I just God, I was disappointed by that movie because I I again it was one of those I really really enjoyed the book. Yeah, like I Although, and I'll, and going back real quick with that whole thing, if you change the name of that and not make it World War Z, it's probably not an awful zombie
1: movie. I still would have hated it.
0: I mean it's it's got all the things you need for a zombie movie. It's got the, you know, trying to find a cure and all this stuff and trying, you know, chases and <coughs> excuse me. You know, all those, you know, qualities of a zombie movie, but I mean it's one of the it's like um remember the uh, the whole thing about the name of a movie kind of ruins it when you put uh like Fast Fur- Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. When it first came out everybody was like, "Oh, why are if it was just Tokyo Drift, this wouldn't be a bad movie, or it would get a little bit yeah, more no, respect. I,
1: yeah, I get that.
0: So I don't know. It's just very disappointing.
1: Yeah, but one last thing before we jump to time travel, uh, something that wasn't disappointing that I forgot to mention last week, I saw Dicks the musical. Oh, yes, yes,
0: ago. yes, Dicks the musical. I,
1: I don't know how I forgot to mention this because I saw it a couple of weeks ago, and I think the whole thing was we wanted to save it for last week because that's when it opened in theaters. It opened wide in theaters instead of just being select like New York and LA.
0: Yeah, we just well, forgot.
1: Dix is in theaters right now, and it is well, well worth the time to go see it. It is, it is the 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 successor to South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. That oh, is that is what this movie. Reminded me of because of how hard it goes, how hysterical it is, and just how raunchy this whole (laughs) thing turns out to be. Like, it is just gleefully, it it is just singing swear words and and throwing out, you know, horrific puppets with just a wonderful energy that you will, I guarantee you will not find in another another movie this year. What's Uh, it about? and Josh. So Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp are the two leads of the film. They also wrote it. It's also based off of their uh, a, a musical that they did with the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which is like a haven for improv and comedians. Okay. And, and basically, it is an R-rated remake of The Parent Trap. <laughs> These two guys who are trying to screw each other over in business real, find out that they're identical twins. Even though they look nothing like each other, <laughs> um, their scheme is to get their mother and father back. And their mother and father are played by Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally. Oh boy! I think that that those two are absolutely hysterical together. They obviously own the scene, their own scenes themselves, outside of each other. But they they just add to the the delicious. Gay energy that this thing shoots off because the whole thing about their parents is Nathan Lane admits that he's gay and then later bisexual. And just the, the, that was part of the reason why the parents broke up. And there's a wonderful clip where it's just the two of them sitting together, and he's like, What, well, what, how did we fall apart? What went wrong? She's like, Well, we did start to slowly drift apart, and then you start to f- end. <laughs> And that's basically, if, if there's anything I need to give you to go see this movie, it's that, along with our version of The Parent Trap, and two of the most hysterically horrific-looking puppets that you're going to both freak out over comedically and then also kind of feel sad for. Because there, there there's, there's this whole thing... they're known as the sewer boys. And it's this pair of creatures that Nathan Lane has in a cage. And that's all I'm going to say, because you really do need to just experience it fresh. Okay. They show them in the trailer. So I'll mention them. I'm comfortable with that. But other than that, the sewer boys need to be seen and believed. Dick's the musical needs to be seen to be believed. It is the messed up queer musical that we probably could have used a long time ago, but I am glad it's here now.
0: All right. With that, Mike Reyes from <laughs> cinema com. We will do some time travel. Uh, we'll be back with the full, uh, Friday night at Freddy's review. Uh, we'll talk Loki. I should be able to watch that tonight and, uh, maybe something else, but whatever. We'll, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll I'm do to... time travel, everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Time travel. Time. It's, it's, um, machines and things pushing you along and it's yeah, all sudden yeah. you're, you're in one place and then you move to another.
0: You know, all of so a sudden you got team. a, you got a gig with Charlie Parker and you know, it's, it's all right.
1: Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you realize why Sean Conner was so hung up on your mom. mom.
0: <laughs> wow, wow, wow. That's your time travel noise for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mike Ray from cinema is on the line with me right now as we uh, have time traveled and we are now on Friday and we, we have some disappointing news. <laughs>
1: the disappointing news is i didn't get to watch five nights at freddy's or loki this week because just work just work
0: i didn't get to watch loki either last night
1: ah so that you see so next week will be a fun conversation because we'll get to talk about two episodes there you go and i'll definitely want to talk about probably want to talk about five nights at freddy's next week because i'm still i'm jazzed for this thing
0: we had a trunk-or-treat event we had to work at last night, so I ended up getting home late. You wouldn't believe all the little kids I saw with uh, Five Nights at Freddy's costumes.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, There's there a fair few of them. And I saw a little kid's costume that I've never seen before, and it's the greatest costume ever.
1: What is it? A garden gnome. A garden gnome.
0: Yeah. Huh. The little beard and everything on a little, like, uh, like a one- or two-year-old. It is fan-tastic because yes. you just see this little gnome just want waddling around <laughs> no so but uh no okay so we'll get to those two uh next week so
1: far uh five nights at freddy's is sitting at 26 percent on Oof. rotten tomatoes with 81 reviews in so Oof. this one sounds like it's gonna be rough with critics this weekend but we'll see what it does with moviegoers uh can people truly tear themselves away from the terror of Taylor Swift to go to the terror of Five Nights at Freddy's?
0: Well, I was just thinking about it. You know, is this one of those things that, you know, you started it so long ago and you kind of drug it along and drug it along? Was it better just to let it die and start over? I don't know.
1: And I think it did. It was started over because they didn't use the same. It wasn't the same concept that oh, okay. I don't think it was the same concept that just dragged on, dragged on like it was a different team. So they restarted. But oh, okay, okay. I could be wrong. But it will it's going to be interesting to see how this performs because it's also streaming this weekend. Yeah. So, and I mean, it was only tw- apparently it was only twenty million to make. So it doesn't. It, it, the popularity of this one might be enough to push it through the door to something substantial. But we'll see.
0: Or maybe it's one of those movies that five years down the line it becomes a mm-hmm. cult classic type thing.
1: Maybe. I mean, that also depends on how Five Nights at Freddy's ages over the next couple of years.
0: It's the next Shawshank Redemption. It'll be that
1: is amazingly sacrilegious, and I want to I want to throttle you for that.
0: It'll be on TBS like every every Sunday afternoon.
1: I wish I could tell you that Freddie Fazbear's soul was. At, I wish I could tell you that Freddie Fazbear's soul was at peace. I wish I could tell you that.
0: Oh, that's classic. Mike Reyes from CinemaBlood.com on the line with me right now. Um, busy you did see, up, uh,
1: busy dying.
0: <laughs> you did see uh, the one Netflix movie with all the different actors, right?
1: Oh, yeah, movie film. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a very interesting experience. It was a film. It was a movie. It was just, you know, people were in it saying lines, and I observed it.
0: Man, fuck you!
1: <laughs> I'm doing Y'all the. F- you for not getting the titles. I can't remember "Killers of the Flower Moon."
0: <laughs> that one was tough for some reason. I don't know why, and I can't explain it.
1: I can tell. Uh, 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 taking away the the mocking, I can tell you why. Because for when I was first going through the title, I thought it was "Flowers of the Killer Moon." Yeah. And then it's like, no, 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 it's "Killers of the Flower Moon." Get it right. It's like when Kylo Ren first was announced as a character. It's like, oh, Rilo Ken. It's like, no, no, Kylo Ren. It's like, ah not like this name is ridiculous and doesn't have a basis in reality i can you know His name is that. i'm just dumb it's ben it's ben solo you little emo kid
0: anyways uh pride and prejudice how was it <laughs>
1: well the movie i actually saw this week was pain hustlers ah pain hustlers based off <clears throat> a non-fiction book about an opioid startup company that it's kind of like another wolf of wall street only this time we're following a person who doesn't Totally gets seduced by it, and that's part of the problem. Uh, basically, it's Emily Blunt playing this character who uh, – playing a person who meets a farmer rep while she's stripping, played by uh, Chris, Chris Evans. Hammond. And then just as she loses her job, she, she's like a single mom. She's not – she she needs money. So she decides to go into this line of work. This company's failing, and it looks like it's going to be closing any minute soon. But thanks to her work, they become a juggernaut and they're pushing pills and then the consequences kind of come home to roost as they do in these sorts of films. And if they had built any of the characters significantly in this film, I think I would have felt it more, but it really just kind of felt like it was treading water and it was, it was okay. It was, it was kind of a waste when you've got Chris Evans really digging into douchebag villain mode here. And then Emily Blunt playing, you know, the, the moral center, the mom. And it's like, I, I, I understand this character. I know where I'm supposed to be with this character. I'm not getting there.
0: That is kind of the consensus. I just, uh, I was looking at Wikipedia and it was like lots of great actors, lackluster.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, when you, when you have a movie that pairs Catherine O'Hara and Andy Garcia in a scene to like, dance together and you waste that opportunity what hope is there for you
0: uh i want to go back to the beginning of the movie what was emily blunt doing
1: she was an encyclopedia salesperson
0: ah yes nothing more than i would like to have as an encyclopedia salesman
1: yeah i was waiting for you to like latch onto that i was just sitting here waiting for you to do that and and you did not disappoint
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Reyes from cinemablend.com joins us every week to talk about movies and stuff. Don't
1: mind him. It's the time travel.
0: Yes, it's the time travel, and it's the getting home late and not being able to watch Loki last night like I want. I called my wife on the way home last night. I'm like, because she's starting to get the sickness that we've had the last couple weeks, you know?
1: Ah, so your wife is down with the sickness.
0: Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Thank
1: you.
0: Wow. Although uh, I did watch Lower Decks last night.
1: I'm, is it fantastic as always? Because I need to. I need to start watching. You know it what? Fully. You know
0: what character they randomly brought back? So? Nick Licardo. Who's that again? Remember Tom Paris? Yeah. And he was in that episode of Next Generation where Wesley, uh, their class, like killed a kid in a uh, uh, piloting accident.
1: I know what you did last Starfleet Academy.
0: Huh? I know what you did at
1: Starfleet Academy. Yeah,
0: pretty much. But anyways. The the character, it was the same person that plays Tom Paris was playing this character named Nick Licardo. And when Voyager came along, they were like, man, we really want someone like Nick Licardo or uh, uh, what's his? God, I can't think of what his name is. It's
1: time travel, folks. All the facts get distorted and everything feels 80. Robert
0: Duncan McNeil. Huh? You You know who that is?
1: Yeah, that's Paris.
0: Yes. He played. Nick Licardo in The Next Generation. He was the classmate that took the fall for everybody. Ah! And when they were bringing Voyager around, they were like, boy, we really want someone like Robert Duncan McNeil as Nick Licardo. Basically, they took that character and changed the name and made it Tom Paris.
1: Oh, wow. I, for some reason, I feel like I've heard that story, but I may have just temporarily forgotten it. I That's that's pretty cool.
0: So in the... In, Straight or lower decks, which is kind of all over the place. They had Nick Licardo show up in it. It, It's actually voiced by Robert Duncan McNeil.
1: You know what lower decks kind of reminds me of in a
0: way? What Looney Looney Tunes? A little, I just have, I think it's a little bit closer to like the family guy. A little bit because I, it's so out there on some of the stuff.
1: Yeah, it's out there, but at the same time the reason it reminds me of fam of Looney Tunes is just because it has all of those references and all of those like characters that they'll just jam pack things in it was seen and you've gotta you've gotta really dig through it to find some things.
0: Yeah. It's just it was a really, really dumb reveal. <gasps> The, the premise of the episode, they had to go, uh, there There were different uh, Federation citizens that needed to go be, be picked up, and one was like seven and nine, one was Beverly It was characters you legitimately know, right? Yeah. And uh, the one goes, oh, we get to meet Beverly Crusher? She goes, no, we're going to go get Nicholas Ricardo." <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was very dumb in a funny way. So anyways, that that's your review. But I love
1: that. And I'm very, <laughs> I, like I said, I... I the last episode I saw because the, apparently the only way I've been watching <clears throat> Lower Decks right now is when I go to my friend's house. Yeah, and he'll he'll be like, "Oh, you have to watch this episode. Oh, you have to watch this." <laughs> the the episode was the last one I watched.
0: I'm actually kind of surprised because uh, Robert Duncan McNeil he's like he's a, <laughs> done a lot of directing and like behind the scenes stuff, especially since Voyager.
1: That just feels like a Trek career path.
0: Yeah, like but
1: that re- Star Trek really feels like the so- a sort of incubator for actors that want to direct. And I guess because you do like you knock out television in in a longer sort of run and you knock out more in sort of a longer run than a movie. That must be what sort of helps build that skill. It's, it's like a callus in a in an actor. So I don't know. I mean, that's that's something interesting.
0: He just hasn't done any directed any of the new Star Trek, which I think is crazy. At least not that it's showing up on Wikipedia, but you know what he was a big part of? What? Chuck. Huh? He was the executive producer from 2010 to 2012. He was the, or excuse me, uh, oh, this is going backwards. He was the director 2017 to 2012, producer 2007, 2008, supervising producer 2008, and 2009, uh, co-executive producer 2010, and then executive producer 2010 to 2012. He was a part of 73 episodes of that. Interesting. Can we talk about movies now? Mike Reyes from cinemablend.com joins me every week on the show to talk about movies. Mike, you have a good weekend.
1: You too.